Are you a sneakerhead? Yeah, boy! A baller? Ballin'. Want to know about the hottest brands you can lace up and run with? Well, get ready, because we got all the details right here. Nice take by James. Oh, he stops! LeBron James puts it down in the face of James Johnson. Kevin Durant way outside. Delivers! Kevin Durant from downtown. It's a six-point game. And it goes off to Kobe. Good to ride Kobe underneath. Puts his nose on the line again. Makes the basket. He's fouled. Oh, what a play. And Kobe, after he was fouled, after the ball nestled in the net, he waved to a cameraman down in front. Says, take my picture, baby. Sixers running the break. Iverson accelerating to the jam. It's kicks and bricks where we got game on the streets, and on the court. Money's gotta be the shoes. Shoes, shoes, shoes. shoes. You sure it's not the shoes? I'm sure, Mars. Money's gotta be the shoes. And here's your host, Jamel Cutler. What up, what up? Welcome to Kicks. Joining us today, we have one of the stars of the hit Showtime show, The Shy, Curtis Cook. What's up, my brother? How you doing? Jamel, I'm doing amazingly well. I'm, I'm glad to see you and hear you. I know people can't see us, but uh, I get to see your beautiful smiling face, so I'm, I'm happy to be here, my dude. All right, so before we jump into the shy, like, before, um, like, you were on Broadway, like, how did the Broadway experience help prepare you as an actor on the small screen and on the um, big screen? Uh, good question, man. Broadway, uh, I think any actor worth their salt and gold needs to do stage work um, at one point in their life. Uh, I studied and I trained over in London, uh, Mount View Conservatory for, uh, for three straight years. I had a full ride from Dayton, Ohio into London, England. And um, when I got to New York back in the late, nine, eight, late 80s, all I ever wanted to do was Broadway, man, and, and, in, and in particular musical theater. Um, one, because I love it to death. I was growing up watching the Nicholas Brothers and, you know, um, Stormy Weather and all those great American, uh, Black American musicals. And, uh, and two, because I feel like if you're able to sing, dance and act and keep something as real as possible, there's nothing else you can't, I mean, that's, that's, that's the trifecta of what we do. Um, we don't get an opportunity to do that as often, but, um, I found myself in that space, man, and it prepared me immensely for, um, for television and film work. I, 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 was, I was one of those bougie-ass actors too, man. I am. I was thinking when I first got here, I would only do Broadway. Television and film was beneath me. That was up until I did my first little TV spot, man. Uh, and they paid me my whole Broadway salary for that one day. And I was like, okay, hold the fuck up. Wait a minute. I need to figure out uh, how to do more of this because I'm getting paid, paid over here. And so uh, I just went on the quest of figuring out how to manipulate camera angles and uh, and the subtlety of, um, of of being self and uh, and so far so good, not good. What was the first big purchase that you made once you got that first big check from um... <laughs> from anything, right? So uh, that's a loaded question, Jamel, because. I got pregnant young. I say I got pregnant because, you know, it, women don't do it by themselves. You know, it takes two to tango. So so when my uh, ex-wife got pregnant, I was I was still a baby, man. So and we was broke as hell. So um, I, I don't know if I made my first big purchase. I mean, I got I got houses now, 
but I was grown ass man by the time that happened. And I didn't splurge if you're talking about like just something just frivolous. It's like, you know what? I'm gonna just buy this just because I want it. I remember when my Broadway show was closing. I mean, my when I finished The Lion King and I was leaving The Lion King, I went out and I bought this this watch. Now it wasn't a very, it, it, was, it was expensive for me at the time, but it wasn't like some, you know, what they're doing like today with all the stones and shit on it and you're like blinged out and whatever. It was just some simple one. I still have it actually. I think it only cost, at the time, maybe $2,300 or something like that. And, and forgive me if I'm sounding flippant about $2,300. I know there's some folk out there that's like, what, nigga, $2,300? Yeah, you give me that right now. I'll buy 12 watches, dinner, and uh, some other shit. But I still got it. Um, it's watching, and, and it's a nice timepiece, and it's simple, and it's classic, and I can wear it anywhere, and uh, still to this day. And that was a good uh, 15 years ago or so, 15. Yeah, about six, yeah, 15 years ago, I bought that watch. Did the environment that you grew up in, did that experience like mold you as an actor? I grew up in Dayton, Ohio. I'm the oldest of five children, um, mother and father. I'm married up until my mother's passing, which was um, a few years back. Um, my father's still kicking his old ass, still kicking around. Um, he can't stand up all the way straight, but... Uh, he was, a, he was an MF growing up, so I feel like I'm gonna kick him over sometime. No, I'm just joking. But um, the environment that I grew up in, it, it wasn't totally conducive to acting, but what I will say is that my parents never um, told me that I couldn't or I should not be in the arts or act. They were very supportive in what I did and, and, um, and how I did it. Um, there weren't anyone else. My father sang a bit when he was younger, um, but nobody else was in the arts. Um, I used to watch a lot of television um, I did a lot of community theater growing up. I, I danced with DCDC, which is a Dayton Contemporary Dance Company. I was in their second company growing up. I was in this organization as a, called the Muse Machine, which was a, a high school organization for like drama, drama, drama kids and whatnot. So, so those things definitely helped me. And I had an incredible high school drama teacher, Miss Patricia Copeland, that kind of molded me and, and pushed me um, um, further into the arts. But, but my my personal neighborhood. Nah, we grew up on the west side of Dayton with not a lot of money and um, you needed to fight your way out of a lot of shit just to get to the store sometimes. But uh, um, but I always knew I wanted to do this. I have a friend who uh, we've been friends since kindergarten, bruh. Um, I'll be 53 years old in October and we still friends, me and this dude. Well, I haven't talked to him in a minute, but we, I still keep him in my heart. He said to me one time, he said, bro, I don't even think you chose to act. I think acting chose you. Dude, I think it just kind of found you and pulled you in. And, and some days I feel like that because um, no matter how wonderful or how small the role is, it's it's always amazing to me. And it always feels good to me. It always feels like home to me. I don't feel like there's anything else I would ever really want to do. If I only had one nine to five job in my life, Jamil, one nine to five job in my whole life. Um, and that was when Curtis Jr. was being born and I was scared. I was like, God damn, I ain't gonna be out here acting. I ain't got no money, I ain't got chips, I need to find something. <laughs> so I went and um, started um, temping at this place in New York City and uh, realized quickly after that, I can't be behind this desk. I can't do that. And um, went back and betted on myself, dude, and uh, started uh, auditioning again and getting out there again. And and um, haven't looked back since. You know, um, I've been to Dayton, uh a few times and it kind of reminds me of Chicago a bit. Oh, okay. And what yeah, and what I like most about um Chicago and the shy is like it kind of deals with like real life issues that affects our communities. Um like why do you think the shy resonates so much with us? 
I think because of that that um that point you made right there, because it deals like it deals with real life situations and real life um, and, and doesn't shy away from showing the ugly parts of ourselves, you know what I mean? So that we can see and learn from and, and, and adjust um, maybe how we're acting and what we're doing um, based on art, which is now imitating life, you know? Um, but that uh, more interesting question, why why were you in Dayton a few times? That's what I want to ask you that. First of all, what were you doing in Dayton? Because there ain't much there, really. Nah, I was traveling to Cleveland, and then I got lost <laughs> some, somehow, somehow, then I ended up in Dayton. You said I was <laughs> going to Cleveland, but somehow my ass mm -hmm. was in Dayton. And I was like, oh, this is not where I want to be. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I understand that. Yeah, um, but I think definitely, because they're Midwestern cities as well, right? I mean, or, or, or mm -hmm. Illinois and, and Ohio, that whole Midwestern state feel, and and and, uh, and in Dayton, there's a huge black population as well as in Chicago. I mean, Chicago is a little more sophisticated than Dayton. I mean, sometimes you can get, you know, um, a lot of us are really close to that Kentucky border, you know what I mean? So you kind of have a little more, <laughs> dare I say, um, backwoods kind of dudes walking around Dayton sometimes as, I mean, you have that in Chicago too, but I feel like a lot of them come from Texas or, or Illinois and whatnot. But, um, but I, I can see the similarities in the, in, in the two cities. And, um, and I definitely, I drew from a lot of my past and growing up and, um, and portraying this dude that I get the opportunity to, um, to portray, that I've, I've gotten an opportunity um, to portray for these last, what, three seasons I've been on the show now? Three, since I got there, season two, this is four, yeah. Has any other issues that the shy covered like resonated with you on a personal level from like this season or from past seasons? Um, wow, uh, give me a couple of seconds. What do you think? But I, my, my immediate answer is yes. I, I'm sure they have, but I'm trying to figure out what in particular. I mean, there's um, there there was a scene. You know what I liked when I first when I when I got there the first for my first season, which was season two, there was this whole kind of feeling of fatherhood that was kind of resonating throughout the piece because you know a lot of young boys in some of our um in our black communities um unfortunately don't get to grow up with their fathers in the household, right? So I mean I guess it happens in white households too. It ain't like it's only particularly special to us, but I only know black communities primarily because that's what that's what I grew up in and that's you know, that's where I was. But I think that um the fact that the shy took on this uh, this um, feeling of fathers come in all different sizes and, and, and shapes and um, from all different aspects was really cool to me that that um, that, that second season because um, you had like the old man who was in jail who dude had to go dude had to go into and speak to to give him the rundown but his his pad was laid out you know what I mean and he had the girl come in and uh. But he was kind of a father figure to Duda. And then you had Duda himself becoming like a father figure kind of to Reg and kind of to Brandon. And then you have you had Darnell come in that first season. That's when Darnell had, remember when Darnell first came in, he had all the women set up. He was like, we eating dinner at mm -hmm. a certain time. We all gonna yeah. be together. It was like, it was, you know, it was smart. It was tight. And so it had this whole kind of, kind of resonated through. So that is something, and I grew up with my dad though. Um, um, it wasn't that, but but when I saw those things, it, it gave my dad more complexities because I realized my dad was being all of these things, you know, and 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 that itself taught me um, how to be a father and how to relate to my children. Um, that you can't just be one thing, you know what I mean? You have to be able to shift and listen, especially when you have five children, two boys, boys on a book then, and three girls. You really have to be able to listen and and hopefully um, 
have answers or help try to find answers for them. For me, one thing that stood out was the forgiveness aspect. When Brandon had forgave, um, when, when he forgave Ronnie for killing his- um, Oh, right, yes. Like for me, it's hard for me to forgive people. So like that scene like kind of helped me out a little bit because wow. if, because if Brandon could forgive somebody for killing his brother, I mean, I should be able to do the same thing. Most definitely. And I know Most it's death. fiction, but no. Oh, yeah, but, but fiction draws has, I mean, in order for it to resonate, like you said for and earlier, it has to draw from someplace real. Otherwise, you know, if I'm sitting here talking about gummy bears flying, you know what I mean? And gummy bears flying around the house, you'd be like, okay, bro, what this gotta do with me? You know what I mean? But um, but once it hits a place where it's like, oh my God, you know what, somebody lost their mom. And so now they're dealing with the grief of what that means. And they're going out here and somebody just called his mom and his name. And now he getting, you know what I mean? Some people can immediately relate to that and act on it because art imitates life. And then we can give them a different way. And that's beautiful, man, that you, that, that stuck with you. Cause that was a while ago when that happened. Um, and that's mm -hmm. something that still pops on your mind immediately. That's the power of, um, of art. You know what I mean? How how it stays with us and never leaves, and and it continues to grow in your mind because I'm sure because although you remembered it when it happened and you still think about it, you add certain things, you take away certain things, and it and it has a life of its own. Did you study anyone in particular to like prepare yourself to portray Duda? Not one person. A lot of people. I mean, I've been saying on interviews of of late, and it's true. Um, just because I've been asked this question a couple of times, which is really cool and I, and I respect it. It's like, Duda is an immediately a, a, a combination of my grandfather, um, Calvin Curtis Jones, senior, and uh, my father, um, Clifton Cook, senior, um, and myself uh, immediately, because those three men, although very similar, are totally different. My grandfather, he never had a high school education, man, but uh, he ended up owning so much real estate in Dayton, Ohio, that he was able to do some uh, amazing, amazing things. And he used to have these um, like little juke joints at the bottom of one of his houses where people would come and just play cards and drink and hang out. You know, you get in those kind of places at late night hours, you know, certain things pop off at certain mm -hmm. times. And, you know, grandpa would have to go behind the bar and be like, OK, OK, let's shut this down, everybody. <laughs> And they were shut it down. You know, he 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 knew how to handle himself. And my dad, on the other hand, was kind of in my mind. He was more like a um, hardworking nine to five kind of dude. Uh, and uh, gave you that. Um, I said this early. I don't want to repeat it, but it just popped in the back to my head. It gave you like a. Uh, James Evans from Good Times feeling. You know what I mean? He was always trying to keep a gig. I mean, he he worked as a truck driver for a long while, then he worked as a bus driver. But you know, it was always like, sometimes you come in the house, you try to flick the light on, you'd be like, what happened? What happened to the lights? The, the lights out. Oh shit, the lights, the lights out? And he'd be like, yeah, the lights out, sit down. We're gonna get the lights out. But uh, it'd be my mom who would like pick up a game or like, well, this is what we're gonna do today. We're gonna do the lights out game and we're gonna play this thing. And I'll make sure that, you know, there's always was humor and in, in, in life in the house. Um, So they were a definitely good balance for each other. So it was definitely those three men that I um, combined from. And then of course I did my research on mob, mob life and mob mentality as well as certain gangs um, that um, I could find access to. I mean, Googling is amazing, man. Uh, Google is amazing and as well as um, all these documentaries. Sometimes you can go down these dark holes on certain shows and you see all these documentaries on certain um, lifestyles, especially in the Midwest of certain gangs or whatever that, uh, that really informed me as well. Can you talk about the character arc that Duda has gone through from um, season two to now? Wow. 
how much you gonna pay me for that, Jamal? Because it's a lot of. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, because uh, that's that's a lot, right? It's a lot. Duda, when we first met Duda, he came in as this cool, super polished dude. The first scene, my, one of my first scenes of, of the series, when he was sitting up in his penthouse, Reg walks in with the bag, with that little bitty butt bag of money, thinking he done handled his shit. And Duda's sitting back in the back talking about, you know who I am, don't you? Boom! That's how he starts off his introduction. You know who I am. I didn't even have to tell you who the fuck I am, right? And then I have the other character tell them who I am. As opposed to me going like, hey, how are you? My name is Duda. And I, you know what I mean? He did some boss shit from the get. He's like, you know who I am. And um, and then so he had this whole facade of being uh, a pizza uh, mogul. You know, he had those pizza restaurants. And um, and at the end of uh, season two, he had that corny ass commercial. I think somebody's probably gonna pull it up where he was doing it. Hey, you can come get your pizza for $4.99. And if you, if you listen to that commercial though, Jamal, a lot of people don't know this, but every number he was saying, it was like part of the 63rd Street mob. So it was like all the prices was like 63rd, the number of cheeses that he had was all relative to the 63rd Street mob. So he was also throwing like basically gang signs to his to his crew saying, hey, don't forget, we still running this shit here on the south side of Chicago. So so we had that initial arc. So we had these two characters that um, I was given the opportunity to play and they were kind of black and white, right? You had the, the deep, dark, serious dude who was doing this drug shit. And then you had um, the pizza guy who was like the neighborhood, bring him up, dude. And then we get into season three where they decide to add another layer and have this dude run for mayor of Chicago. And um, I remember when Lena, um, shout, big shout out to Lena Waithe and um, Justin Hillian and, um, and um, Fox, 21, uh, Fox 21 and uh, and Showtime for giving me the opportunity to add another layer to that. Cause that's like a, an actor's dream, man. When it's like, we want to see if now you can add a whole different part of yourself and a whole different character in this thing that we've already set up. And, you know, like I said, I came from the theater. So the work is, um, it's the easy part for me um, doing the research and the work and it's the showing up, just making sure that what I'm trying to present, people read it and they connect to it. Um, so we added this mayor thing. So I went into this whole politician thing and I had done House of Cards for a while. So I had done a lot of research on politicians and how they worked and how they moved, which isn't that different from against them from the, from some certain aspects uh, of, of what they do and how they manipulate the system sometimes. Uh, uh, so he had that, and then in that in, um, instant, we we meet his wife, right, played by um, the beautiful Miss Candy Burris, who comes in as his um, campaign manager, per se, to kind of push him through, through uh, through the through the works and helping win the uh, the mayorship, which he ends up doing. And then the next year, he is now the mayor, still the head of this uh, 63rd Street mob, but now trying to do some major changes for his for his community. Man, I mean. We watched off in the first, I think it was first episode, second episode, he comes in and he defunds the police. You know what I mean? He just comes in and says, you know what, we're shutting this shit down. It should have been done a long time ago. I don't know what y'all were waiting for. Ain't nobody gonna sit around no board tables and have discussions about it and da la go back and forth. No, they're wrong. They're beating him. First of all, because they beat on his son, you know, his, his foster kid. It's wrong, whatever else. Hey, you're fired. And um, actually, no more money for y'all right now. We're gonna talk about that later. And of course, um, we know in real life that shit can't happen like that, but it's beautiful to see in that fictitious world, like what if somebody could be a black man too? What if this black dude who's probably responsible for a good 85% of the crime that's probably going on anyway, comes in and says, you know what? Stop, no more police, no more police anywhere. We're gonna handle this ourselves. And um, so that's kind of the 
journey of, of, of what he would do that has been doing this whole time from, from the time that I've gotten there. And um, hopefully folk are watching it and they're buying what I'm selling because I'm selling that shit hard. I'm selling you know, it now. I want to hear this from you. Is Duda a gangster, politician, corrupt politician, or kind of like a mixture of all three as kind of like the anti-hero? Um, yes. <laughs> That's my answer, Jarrett. I think it, I think he's all of that, man. I think people are complicated in general, right? We're all complicated. I mean, sometimes you, you, you I don't know if this has ever happened to you, man, but sometimes, you know, you, I'm gonna make up some stupid shit. Like you like orange juice, you know, you've always drunk orange juice, but then one day all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I'm gonna start drinking grape juice. I don't know, I tasted this one time and I love it and that's all I'm gonna do. And everybody's, all your people who knew you from before is like, what? You don't even like grape juice, your drink is orange juice or whatever. You start, it's like, no, bro, I don't have to stay with anything. And I think that's the beauty of Duda. He's, he's able and comfortable enough in who and what he is to be okay with being all of it. Like today, I might love you to death. I might be in your face and I'm gonna be sincere with it. But tomorrow, if you wronged me or if you did something wrong, I will take you out because that's the, that's the thing I love about this dude is that he's very seldom sneaky. It's not like he is going around like he's saying something. He's going to, hey, I'm going to do that and then turns around and doesn't do it. Right. It's not like he's going around people's back. He's going to say, look, this is what I'm trying to do and this is how I'm going to do it. Now, you can either get on board with that or you can't get on board with that. Just know, though, this is what he's going to do. So it's up to you to make your decisions like then that's what i respect about him it's like hey i'm going to be mayor i'm gonna figure out a way to be mayor it's like what you how we, we ain't got to worry about that yet I'm, I'm going to be mayor so watch me if you want if you want to ride on this boat with me that's cool if you don't get the fuck off because if you get in the way i'm going to run you over you know what i mean and and he gets it done or even like this season with um with the Tracy, you know, he he meets her and he's smitten immediately. And this is and that was cool this year too. That Lena and them decided to do that. They gave this dude somebody who he could really love. And so now people can see. Hold on, wait. Oh, is he is he caught up for real? Is he okay? Is he playing her? Because people can't grasp the concept that brothers who who live a certain kind of lifestyle or have a certain way, have, have feelings, have love or whatever. So being able to see that through these eyes and see how he goes through this and handles it is, is interesting to me. Um, my point is that I think that Duda is all of it. Yes, he is a gangster. Yes, he is a corrupt politician to, to a degree, but yes, he cares about this community. And yes, he knows that there's a way to do things differently. And yes, he cares about this woman. And yes, his wife gets on his goddamn nerves. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what's crazy to me like um like the 63rd street mob they, they were responsible for killing tracy's son in season one and she don't know that okay let's unwrap that then bro let's unwrap that right. then because so her son was at okay so Quint, quentin right went in to take these police officers out right um to find out who killed his son ultimately that's what he was going to do right and in the process he realized that the mob, the 63rd Street mob was working with the cops, right? Uh, um, Trice's character comes out and he sees um, uh, the boy, right? It's like, oh, what you doing here? What you doing? He's like, no, no, I'm getting my girl some ice cream or something like that, right? And so she's, so Trice, who's part of the 63rd Street mob, basically says, okay, cool, you can go. All right, whatever. Then the boy says something and pucks, peeks his ear. He's like, oh no. So I'll ask you this, who killed that little boy? Who was the trigger man? That's what you're yes. asking? 
Who was the trick man? It, Who's... it was the kingpin from season one before you came. No, I, I, it was not. I, it it I was that police officer. Him. The police officer. Remember the white guy came out. He's like, "What's going on?" And he was like, "No, nah, this little boy is here." The police officer was like, "No, no, we're not doing that." Bam, 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 oh, right, bam. Right. He shot the little boy. Right. So it wasn't the 63rd. What I'm saying is that, yeah, the little boy was there. 63rd Street mob for all intents and purposes. Let the little boy go and say, you know what? Hey, hey, you know what? That's wrong. And you don't need to go. Hey, we need to talk. And the police officer came and was like, no, no, no. We ain't going to have no witnesses. And he got any and he shot the little boy. So if, when Duda finds that out, Duda would take care of the because Duda got rid of Quentin. Right. Got rid of Q. He's like, okay, what are you doing here, and why are you here messing up the business, killing these police officers and doing this shit in the first place? You don't have, you don't have the right, because you know Duda is above Quentin, right? So he's like, you don't have any right doing this now. So when he found out that, he got, he got rid of that dude. And when he found out um, about the little boy, that's another thing I'm one of people are catching too in this season. There's been a few times when Duda first met Tracy, he says to her, and if you were, if you think about it, Duda never says sorry to anybody. He doesn't apologize. He just moves through. He says to her right up there, like painting a pole or some shit like that initially. He says, hey, I'm really sorry about what happened to your son. And it's all pointed. It's all heavy because he's apologizing for the 63rd Street mob's part in it and where his son was at the time. And in his mind, I handled it. I got rid of Quentin. I got rid of all of that because Quentin hurt Tracy. You know what I mean? Quentin was the one who had her in the trap house before and that's how she got pregnant initially with the baby i know i'm probably giving too much backstory you're like god damn i didn't know all this was going on in yeah so um so so he does that a couple of times he does that there and then he says that to her up again I don't, I don't know if they kept it in there was another scene when they're in the penthouse when they're about to do the do or whatever before um Rosalind comes in talking about she want to watch some shit her nasty ass and then um, um he says to her again like he says you know I'm, I'm really sorry about what happened to your son she's like I'm tired of people saying I'm sorry about my son or whatever because she's not hearing what he's actually saying either because he's saying basically I want you to accept me but I want to I want to throw all my cards on the table I need you to know what's going down but he's not being as as open and as straightforward as he could be. But he said, and then he's, oh, then there was another scene that they actually took out. There's a, there was, before Duda gets shot this season, there was a whole rooftop scene between Duda and Tracy, where Duda says to Tracy, what if I leave my wife to be with you? And she's like, I don't think you would ever do that. And he says, but what if I would? And she's like, well, we see. And then she leaves, right? And then if you see, um, in the clip, he turns back around like he know like somebody's coming back. But then what happens is he hears the door back open back up, and he's like, "Oh, she's coming back to to say what she says." But he turns around, and then it's um, Laverne's ass up there shooting people. But um, <laughs> but uh, but that was so that's why that was like that. But that scene got got taken away for for whatever reason it, it got taken away as well. Uh, so what am I saying? So did Duda have something to do with her son being dead? In the wider scheme of things, yes. Directly, I don't think so. And I do think that once he found out, just the same way when Mimelon Ridge um, was supposed to be taking care of the houses or whatever, and he went and he had that boy beat up. Um, um, yeah, yeah Miss Ethel. And then Duda mm -hmm. came back. He's like, what the? What are you doing, dude? That's not what we do. We don't go around. You know what I mean? He chastised him right there. It's like, no. And every time, just think about it, man. This dude, he... He has morals, man. He has a compass. He's like, he understands who needs to be taken out and when he needs to take, but he ain't afraid to take nobody out. But he's like, there are rules to this shit if we want to have longevity, I think. 
And um, that's what I like about him that he rides on. If there's anything I like about this, this dude, it's that. I said earlier that Duda was kind of a corrupt politician, but let me get this clear. There's way worse politicians out there than Duda. Like you take, for example, President Trump, <laughs> the main, he's the main one. Mm, I would agree with you 100%. There are uh, far more worse politicians out here than, than Duda and have been for years. I mean, we, we go back in history to, um, to some, of the, some of our founding fathers, how, you know, they, how many slaves they had and how many women they were raping. And you know what I mean? Just, just on that, um, I'm saying. So in, in the name of the country, in the name of whatever. So th there's a lot worse people than, than this dude, Duda. But I, listen, I'm not giving him an out. I'm not giving Duda out. The the bra needs to sit down with a counselor or or, or um, a, a psychiatrist or somebody and have a conversation with because um the, you know the, he has some issues. You we met his mom. We knew what, he, what kind of environment he grew up in, right? Remember last year his mom came in talking about he ain't shit. He ain't gonna be shit, and I don't care. It's like oh, damn, Duda didn't have a chance. He didn't have a chance to make it. So um. Yeah, man, I um, I, I'm not giving him an out, but I, I do think there are some qualities about him that just need to be looked at and understood. Um, but then he still has to be held accountable for his actions. One thing I do like about Duda that he brings to light, like that black men needs to unite and bring economic growth to the community, even if the money comes from drugs and other illegal stuff. Mm, I, I hear you. I think there is a world in which drugs, uh, very, very, very difficult subject, but but drugs or illegal drugs or whatever gets a bad rap, right? I mean, mm -hmm. there are there are things that have been called drugs and we were told never to use them, which are now legal, right? And then there then there have been drugs that are on the market that pharmaceutical companies have been using for for years that are that have been killing our people in all sorts of ways, right? But they've been selling them knowing that they're that they have these kind of side effects. And so when you get into a black community and and people need to unfortunately because of societal societal issues need to pacify themselves or drown out something just like alcohol. Alcohol used to be illegal for a while, right? Need to and then and the black people are selling it to each other. Now there's always going to be people who overdose and go too far with any kind of substance, right? And once again, I'm not giving I'm not making an excuse for what this guy does. Selling drugs to babies and children and innocent individuals is wrong. It should not be done. They should be taken off the street and 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 flogged, honestly, I think. Um, but then there's a responsible adult. So it's like, you know what? Hey, I want this and this is what I want to do. And you'd be like, and maybe you shouldn't, but hey, you grown. You need to, you can do what you want to do. Um, uh, but when a black man or a black entrepreneur or a young black man figures out that that's a way to get out of the, out of a situation, immediately he's vilified, right? He's like, that's wrong. He's whatever. He's a thug. He's a thief, whatever, whatever. But you, you know what I mean? When, when, when a pharmaceutical company or whatever does it, it's not the same thing. I just think we just need to re reevaluate. And, and two wrongs don't make a right. That's not where I'm going with this. It's just that sometimes there is pride in having a business and taking care of your customers. That sounds weird as hell when you're talking about drugs, but <laughs> but there is something to, like you said, unifying a community and getting your way, using something to get your way out and not standing in the same place because it's not like dude is still on the street slinging hash, you know what I mean? Or stringing drugs or making sure people, he's used that money, he bought pizza shops, he's 
and giving jobs to young black kids in the neighborhood at all of his pizza shops that are there. When he, he made it to mayorship, he made sure that there were black people working in there. So he's bringing the community along with him each place he goes. And you know, if we were to see what he's doing with the drug trade or whatever that's happening, initially in, in, in season two, he was moving into real estate. They were all, the whole drug train, the old man said, this drug thing is, is getting old. We need to trans, we need to move. He was moving into real estate. So I, I wonder if he's still, how involved he is with, with drugs. But I think that yes, he does try to mentor and teach uh, the young men that are around him as honestly and as openly as he can. I mean, with fault, he's not perfect. He's, he's very, very, very flawed dude. And which is beautiful, which is beautiful for television, which is beautiful for people to see themselves, I think. The main storyline for Duda this, this season is the whole defunding of the police. Do you think that this is something that real life mayors can mimic? Yeah, and I think we need to be careful of the wording in real life and as opposed to the fictitious life, because I think it's really just about um, um, reallocating funds, right? It's really like, you know, we're not gonna give you all this money that you've been having because you're not psychiatrists, because you're not, you know, um, um, child services, you know what I mean? But you've been called to these houses and trying to take care of these things that you're not equipped for. So maybe we take this money from you and we give it to this place over here, I think, in my personal opinion, that we're, that, that it's, it's, it can even some things out or release relieve you of some some stress and pressure and it can give um, help to the individuals that need it so i do think that there is a world in which we need to re um focus on what uh our, our police departments are doing and how they're doing it and try to assist them the best way that we can and if that means and if that means pulling some of those funds that we've been giving them and, and putting them someplace else with their assistance I think that's a better for all of us. I think that's a win-win for all of us. So I think that there is a world in which um, reallocating funds from the police can 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 work and it can it can be a good thing for for our country in, in a lot of our states. Back in the day, the the Black Panthers they did something similar. Instead of having the police in their communities, they kind of patrolled their own communities. Mm-hmm. So like that's something that I want to see happen in this day and age. But I don't think it's going to happen though. I think with, with, with like people like yourself, man, who has this like incredible podcast and this voice that you're getting out there and people are listening to you. I think the more people hear things, it kind of triggers itself off. People get ideas. They're like, oh, well, why not? You know what I mean? It's, it takes young young brothers like yourself and old heads like me to be like, and to show it, like we just said before, art imitates life. Somebody watches this and be like, okay, what's a better way to do that? That's a good idea, but how can I flip that to do it differently? Oh, I just heard that on, um, you know, uh, kicks and bricks. Like how 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 can I how can I make this a re- reality? You know what I mean. I think that um, so, so I think that it is possible. I do think it's possible. When it happens, yeah, that's one of those things. It may it may already be happening. I feel like there was an article in some paper that some city. Mm, I want to say it was. Mm, it was a southern city. I want to say it was. Nashville. Wasn't it Tennessee? It was some. It was a southern city who who had started to do something similar to like defunding the police. Um, but um, so I do think it's going to happen, and I do think that it's it's going to be handled and um, addressed pretty soon. Because the shit is bad, man. It's um, it has always been, and now people have um, are tired of it. You know, and our, and our millennials are like, you know what? I ain't dealing with this shit no more. And and the Z, you know generation they're like no 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 we we want to stop this and they and they're ready they're ready to fight and they, um and i'm proud of them. I'm, I'm really fucking proud of them. earlier this season they beat up your boy um jake yeah uh, and and you know i'm not advocating any type of violence but are you surprised you know 
that something like this hasn't happened in real life where like a family member of somebody that's been abused by the police just basically retaliated and took matters into their own hands? Yeah, I think it could, but I don't know if that's, you know, I, I think people are a little smarter than that because they, they realize that um, they're going to have to be prepared to take on, as individuals, to take on a, a, a police department in any state. You know what I mean? So I can understand the angst and the pain and the, and the frustration of it all, but um, I think people are a little, little, little brighter than that. And uh, you got me thinking, though, because I'm like, hold on, let me think. <laughs> Somebody really, <laughs> I'm like, hold on. But um, yeah, I think that I think that folks are a little, little, little smarter than they kind of retaliate against the police like that because I think it would be foolish for themselves and their other family members to, to go down like that. But I, I think the law having the verdict of um, Floyd go that way, the way that it did, you know, have it be that I mean we wanted them to get more time or whatever, but to having to go to case and having them be tried the way that they did and all the other police officers being taken off the force is a step in the right direction in some aspects. And so I think that's given um, some of us a lot more hope than what we had before. Have you had that talk with your sons about the police interaction? Yeah. After the pandemic, a lot of people were asking this question, right? Or talking about this in certain ways. But but as a black man, man, and with children, it's kind of a, it was always a rite of passage. I mean, you, I got this talk when I was growing up in Dayton, you know what I mean? When I was turning 18 and, and starting to drive, it really started, you really started to get it when you started to drive primarily. Um, my oldest son, Curtis, Curtis Jr. is 30 years old. And, um, and I have uh, Isis, who's 29, then Kimani, who's 25, then the twins, they're, um, they just turned 17. And it's a boy and a girl, twin. And Harlem is, is the youngest. So the, like I said before, the boys are the bookends. So the conversation is, uh, is one that is uh, it's not as filled with as much angst as it could be. But at the time where Harlem and I were having a conversation, our, our country and our city was, we were in lockdown and, you know, every day on the news, um, it was somebody else getting attacked uh, or brutalized or um, uh, hurt, harmed by the, by the police. So it was, it was, that was a little more anger or heat. And it was like, basically it's like, um, you have a right to be respected. Um, so first, make sure you show respect to others. My biggest concern always is for you to come home. So because somebody is disrespecting you in the open like that, which is wrong and they should not ever, ever do, my goal is for you to find a way to come home because we can always deal with it afterwards. So apologize, even if you're not wrong. Um, make sure you get names, serial numbers respectfully. Have your phone on recording. It was a litany of stuff, man, and um, and it's one that continues to happen because you know the children. So you 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 remember what you remember, and then when shit happens or something as heightened as that, who remembers everything verbatim on anything? You know what I mean? So the conversation that that um, Harlem and I and my daughters as well continue to have. Um, just on how unfortunately, and it's fucking unfortunate that we have to have that kind of conversation with our children about how to act in front of an officer who's sometimes for like Curtis and Isis, the same age as you, or, or even went to school with you, you know what I mean? And now all of a sudden they have this full power to, to yield over you. So you need to pretend like, you know, they're right and you know that they're not. Um, but once again, the goal is to come home, to come home alive, to come home, um, in one piece so that then we can deal with the trauma of it all and try to try to settle the problems that um that officer 
um, presented as, as best we can. The shy also dealt with with women and girls being kidnapped and being forced into the sex trade. Like for for you to have daughters, like emotionally, what did that storyline kind of bring out of you? Burgundy, the way that she portrayed that um, last season was amazing. I think she did an incredible job, and as, as well as the young man, I can't remember who was the kidnapper. It, I mean, it's 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 always fearful when your children go out of the house and you're not there with them. You know what I mean? It's 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 always scary. Uh, so although I didn't immediately feel like you know my daughters were in danger of being kidnapped, um, it does make you want to say, you know what? As soon as you get there, doubling up on. It. As soon as you get there, make sure you call me. Um, what time are you leaving? Uh, okay, if you if you ten minutes late or whatever, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be blowing up your phone. Do not turn your phone off. You know, with the little ones, we got the um, find your phone thing, so you can kind of track them. Mm -hmm. They'd be like, God damn it, I know he tracking me. Be like, ah, you made a left. You made a left, and you need to make a right. Come on, back up, make a right, and bring your ass right on back up to the pad. I mean, it kind of made you double down on stuff like that. But other than that, um, I mean, it was a it was it was new information for me of how many young black girls go missing in in our country and and um uh are, are are never reported on or the police never follow up on and made me get involved with this uh, uh organization called um find us for us um who track these numbers and and uh, you know um you could just tweet out um they send pictures in you just kind of tweet them out you never know who sees it or who doesn't see it or you know who, who i mean who sees it or who has seen that person to kind of talk do a line so you can kind of find that individual. It, it made me a little more aware of that, but um, in my home immediately, it didn't bring up any large um, alarms or any kind of sensors like, oh, oh, but but it was, I thought it was beautifully told and beautifully done. All right, man, like, I want to thank you for joining me today. I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the shy for this season. What's next for Duda and what's next for you personally? Do you have any new projects that you're working on? So we're uh, we just finished episode seven, right? So when we get into episode nine, Duda's back. So first of all, he's uh, he's um, dealing with the whole realizing that he's not um, going to be here forever, right? And he's kind of pondering what to do and how to how to live his life and and who to have closer in his life because he got got, you know what I mean? So he's he's kind of pondering on that, but then something happens and. And it's like, oh, damn, I thought he was going down a good path, but maybe he's not. Uh, so that's what we have to look forward to in nine and 10 of this year of the of the shy. And then me personally, you know, I'm a, I'm in um, Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, which uh, comes out December 10th in theaters. And so that's going to be hot to look at. And I just finished shooting a film um, a couple of weeks ago um, that stars myself, Omar Epps, uh, Will Catlett, uh, Glenn Turman, um, Von Burr, Hebron, and uh, Vanessa Bell Calloway, directed by Charles Murray, which is an amazing film. Uh, that I don't know when that's going to hit theaters, but um, that was a, uh, that's something to look out for because it's about, about these four brothers who go into this uh, this murder happens, and you wonder if any of the four brothers have anything to do with it, and you find out later that that maybe they did. Um, so that's going to be hot too. So so those are the things that are kind of coming up, and you know, trying to stay in shape, man, trying to and live my best old life, my dude, my best old life. All right, man. Thank you again, man. All right. I'll holler.